Uh, but um, Nehemiah chapter 8, we're halfway through the book. From this point on, chapter 7 is a pivotal point. From this point on, in the book of Nehemiah, the focus now becomes the spiritual growth of the children of Israel. And we talked about last week in Nehemiah chapter 8, whereas uh, once the city walls had been all built and they focused on worship again and they focused on the word of God and they asked Ezra to bring out the word of God. So Ezra brings out the word of God and um, they start reading and we talked about it last week. Um, they listened for about six hours and they had other people who were helping them understand it. And so what happened is this group of people who for 13 years had been in, in Jerusalem, they had rebuilt the temple. They had come from Persia. They had rebuilt the temple. The walls were still undone. Nehemiah comes over 13 years later in 52 days, rebuilds the walls, gets the city secure. The people are now inside the city, safe. Everything's going well. And they say, hey, Ezra, bring out the word of God. Let's listen to what God has to say. And you have to realize that for a long time, they had not been able to do this freely. And now all of a sudden, they're able to do this. And it has a tremendous impact on the people. And you're going to see that in the rest of chapter 8 this morning. So with that in mind, Nehemiah chapter 8, I want to throw the first section up on the screen and we'll talk about it. It says, And Nehemiah, who was, a governor, who was the governor, Ezra the priest and the scribe and the Levites who taught the people, said to the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. You see, as he had been reading to it, the people started to realize how far short they had fallen from the word of God. And they started realizing that, that God had these standards, that God wanted them to live this way, and they hadn't been living that way, and it broke their heart. So they're brokenhearted, and they're weeping, and they're saying, you know, we failed God, we failed God, we failed God. And he said, um, do not mourn or weep, for the people, all the people wept when they heard the words of the Lord. Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared, for this day is holy to our Lord. Again, he says this again, do not sorrow. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. And then he goes on. Listen to what he says next in verse 11. Uh, he says, so the Levites, now that would have been the spiritual leaders of the, uh, of the thing. They were in charge of the worship. And they said, so the Levites quieted all the people saying, be still for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. It's interesting. This is the third time now in three verses that he said, look, don't mourn. Don't grieve. Don't weep. Stop doing what you're doing. We're going to change the, the attitude here. And he goes on and says, And all the people went their way to eat and drink, to send portions and rejoice greatly, because they understood the words that were declared to them. So what happens is, as in the first part of Nehemiah chapter 8, the people hear the word of God, they respond, they're brokenhearted over the whole thing. And um, it's interesting because it seems like we have a contradiction. Because you know that the New Testament teaches that we mourn and grieve, and yet here they're taught... Look, don't weep, don't, don't grieve, don't sorrow, don't weep. Stop doing what you're doing. You see, because what had happened is, as they listened to the word of God, they got convicted and they realized how far, fall, how, how far, how am I going to say this? How far short they had fallen. There we go. How far short they had fallen. And, um, and so they had, they, they had gotten so wrapped up in this it broke their heart, and they're, and, and they're crying, and they're weeping, and, and Ezra goes, time out, stop doing this. Because you see, what they needed to understand was the same word of God that brought them grief and, and, and repentance was the same word of God that could bring them joy and hope, that now things could be different. And so Ezra and Nehemiah wanted them to change the focus and go, look, let's not talk about, let, let's stop the grieving part of it. God's accomplished his purpose. You realize where you've 
where you've fallen short. Now you're going to change some things, so now there can be joy in the midst of grief. Um, and we're going to talk more about that in a, a, at the end here, but just let me stop real quick and say this. It's interesting because when we get to the New Testament, when Jesus is teaching, um, particularly in the Beatitudes, he says, and many of you know this, you hear this at a funeral often, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted, right? Um, and, and we talk about that, and blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. And there seems to be this, this mentality, this mindset sometimes, that as Christians we shouldn't grieve, as Christians we shouldn't sorrow, as Christians we shouldn't weep. Uh, particularly in a rural agrarian culture like we're in, many of you guys were brought up to believe that um, to show emotion, to shed a tear, is a sign of weakness. Uh, many of you can think that, you know, you never saw your dad cry. Um, you never saw a situation where you, you were just brought up that, 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 that to be a man means that you don't show emotion and that you don't weep. And, and can I suggest a couple of things to you? That if our standard and our model is Jesus Christ, and the ultimate, the ultimate man, if you will, is the God-man Jesus Christ, one of the things that he models for us is the idea of grief and sorrow. Um, one of the things that he shows us, one of the things that he taught is, and this, let, me, let me flip this on you for a second. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Let me say it a different way. Those that don't mourn won't find comfort. You see, grief is a, is, is a process that you have to learn to work through. Now, everybody handles it differently. I'm not saying if you don't cry, then you haven't grieved. That's, that some people, they just, you know, um, it's, it's their nature. They don't, they don't cry over anything. They don't, they don't you know, that's, their, that's how they're wired, and I, I don't have a problem with that. Um, but I, I would say this, you have to find a way to grieve and mourn when you have loss. Um, and if you don't, if you don't have a way to work through that process, you will not find comfort. And, and I had to learn this as a pastor because a, a pastor's role is very different at a funeral than anybody else's. You see, I, I, I can't publicly lose it. I, I have to try to maintain composure because people are taking cues often from you. So if I start crying in the middle of a service, it's pretty much guaranteed about three-quarters of the group's going to lose it too. You know, and some of you have been in services where you've seen me kind of break that barrier, not in a funeral thing, but in a, well, even in a funeral thing, but in, in, in those kinds of things, and you know how it can affect people. And so as a pastor, you have to be very, very careful of that. And, and early in my ministry, I just put up a wall. And um, I had to learn that as a pastor, I had to find a way to grieve privately. I had to find a way to grieve for me to work through my process in order to be able to um, be healthy. You know, And as a church, we realize the importance of that. Um, that's why we do the Grief Share program, because we understand the importance of learning and having people come alongside of you to help you work through the process and find your way through it. You know, and I know Sherry's going to be starting another one here in a couple of weeks. And, and I just want to encourage you. You go, well, you know, that was just, you know, you know I lost that person like five years ago or ten years ago. Um, that doesn't matter. 
that doesn't matter. There's some healthy ways to work through grief and, and, and to be able to, and when I say, and I, I'm, wanting, I'm using that term even wrong, it's not something you work through and like get on the other side and like, hey, I'm fixed, I'm, and, 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 and it's a lifelong process. It's a lifelong process of learning healthy ways to, to cope and, and to deal with loss. One of the things that he says here is he tells these people, look, you need to stop. You need to stop the grieving process here. You need to stop the mourning and the weeping over your sin because God has something better for you right now. And let's, let's focus on that. And he talks about the joy of the Lord. And, and we're going to talk about that because it's ironic at the end. We're going to talk about this because it's ironic that he puts joy and grief together. The context of the joy of the Lord is my strength is they're grieving over their sin. And yet even in that, there can be joy and there can be strength in the Lord. And we're going to talk about that at the end. But then uh, he, uh, he, he, he goes on um, as, he, as he looks at this. And listen, listen to what happens next. I've got to give you a little history here before you get, as we go into this. He says, now on the second day, the heads of the fathers, houses of the people, with the priests and the Levites were gathered to Ezra the scribe in order to understand the words of the law. So they're trying to understand the Bible and apply it to their lives. And notice what it says. It says, then they found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded by Moses, that the children of Israel should dwell in the booths during the feast of the seventh month. Now, if you know the story, this is the seventh month. So all of a sudden, these people started to realize, wait a minute, we're, we're supposed to be doing this. And notice what it says. And that they should announce and proclaim in all their cities of Jerusalem, saying, go out into the mountain, bring the olive branches, branches of oil and myrrh, and, and branches of palm branches, and branches of levy houses to make booths, as it is written. Going on. Uh, next verse says, uh, Then the people went out and brought them and made themselves booths, each one for a roof of his house, or on their courtyards or the courts of the house of God, and the open square of the water gate, the open square of the gate of Ephraim. So the whole assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and sat on their booths, for since the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, until the day the children of Israel had not done so. And there was very great gladness. In other words, these people realized as they were listening to the word of God that, hey, listen, we're supposed to be celebrating this every year. And we haven't done this since the days of Joshua. I mean, we couldn't do it when we were in Persia. Now we've been in Jerusalem here for 13 years. Now we've got the temples built. And now we've got the walls built. And we're God's people. And we need to be obedient to God's word. So let's go, let's go do this. Um, do I have another verse, or is that the last one? i got to look at it. Uh, yeah, okay. And also, from that day unto the last day, he read from the book of the law of God. They kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day there was a sacred assembly, according to prescribed manner. So there's what happened is, once they realized this, they went, hey, guys, we need to be celebrating this. We need to be doing this. Now, let me explain it to you so you understand the purpose behind it. Because what happened is, this is known as the... The, 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 the Feast of Booths, um, um, and what, what they would do is, it was celebrating the idea that in Passover, remember, go all the way back in the history of the children of Israel, remember they're in Egypt, they're in slavery, you have Moses and the ten plagues, let my people go, remember all of that, okay, you remember the big um, deal where, where they're going to go out and they're going to cross the Red Sea and then they're going to go in the wilderness and then later it's going to be the, 20, the Ten Commandments, not the Twenty Commandments, the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20. Uh, but anyway, um, so, yeah, don't think I, you know, it's like, wow, you're on too much cold medicine. Uh, no. Um, so th- what, what happened was the night before the Passover happens, and, and at Passover, the people were commanded to do a number of things. They said, number one, get dressed, get packed up, get ready to leave. Because when the angel comes through and passes over, you're going you're gonna to go out. So you're, you're to eat your dinner standing up. 
You're to have a, your staff in your hand. You're to be all dressed and ready to go. And when I say go, you go. So on Passover that night, what happened was, as the people went in, the death angel came through, uh, Pharaoh cries out, get out of here. The people then, literally, they're all packed and ready to go. They go walking out of their house. And then, you know the story, they go out, and, and as they go into the wilderness and they wander, on the first night of the wilderness, here's a question. Where do we stay? Where do we sleep? There's no Motel 6. So what they did was they made little booths, to, to little tents. They chopped down branches of this and that and that and made a little place to stay overnight. And that's what they would do. And so they said, as part of the commandments, when God gave the law, he said, look, I want you to do this once a year. Once a year, I want you to pull out of your comfortable lifestyle. I want you to go out and I want you to go camping for a week. And some of you are saying, see, I knew camping was in the Bible. It says nothing about a fifth wheel with a TV, all right? So just stop right there. Um, but the idea is I want you to go out, and I want you to just live off of the land. I want you to, I want you to make little trees and cut down little trees and put up branches and try to get yourself saved. I want you to live out there for a week. I want you to focus on the Word of God, then come back and go back to your lifestyle. And the purpose for it was to remind the people of what they had. The purpose for it was to remind the people that life is temporary. That life is not something that is just over and over again permanent and you get more and more. Because what they would have to do is they'd have to take their whole comfortable lifestyle. And their comfortable lifestyle, you've got to understand, is a straw mat in a house maybe made of, of adobe mud with one window and a thatched roof. And God said, I don't even want you to be comfortable living like that. I want you to once a week go out. Remind yourself that this whole thing of life is temporary. And as the old song goes, this world is not your home. You're just passing through. And it was a reminder to the children of Israel as they did this every year. It was a reminder to them that God had called them out of Egypt, that God was still in charge, that God would take care of them, even with nothing more than a bunch of sticks and a, and a, and a bunch of palm fronds and stuff like that to keep them uh, covered for the night. And the thing that's amazing in this story is the second Israel realizes the date and the time that they should be doing this, they stop what they're doing. And if you'll think about this in context, that's amazing. These people have spent 52 days building the wall. These people were exhausted. These people were happy. They were finally inside their city. They were finally back into houses again. They were finally getting to be comfortable again. And now they're going to go live underneath a bunch of sticks for a week? You know why they did it? Because God said do it. And they realized brokenheartedly they'd not been obeying God. And so the first thing they do is, okay, if God says to do this, we're going to go do this. And they jump into it. So let's talk about some lessons for us as we, as we go through um, this week. First thing is this. One of the keys to life is to find joy in the midst of circumstances. You see, one of the things that happens for us in life is we try to find happiness instead of joy and there's a big difference you see like one guy says it this way happiness depends on what's happening in your life you come up here you come up after the service say hey pastor here i got something for you and you hand me a check for fifty thousand dollars say want you and your wife to go out and have a good time um i'm gonna be happy okay I'm going to be happy. 
I'm going to go, hey, honey, you know, you know, Bali's looking good, baby. Um, you know, I mean, wait, you know, I, I mean, I'm going to be happy. That's not joy. That's not joy. There's a difference. Um, you see, joy is that, 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 that contentment that everything's going to be okay regardless of my circumstances. You see, there's a couple of characteristics about joy. Joy is sourced in God, not in what happens to me. And that's important because when you can do that, that's where you will find the ultimate strength in the things that come your way in life. You see, the, when I have my confidence and trust in, in, in Christ, when I understand and I look at everything through the filter of, of God in my life, then I can have joy in spite of difficult times. Doctor comes in and says, look, your health's going south. Well, if I look at it from my perspective, well, Lord, I don't understand. You know, I mean, I try to take care of myself, and, you know, I know how so-and-so eats, and they're not taking care of themselves. How come they're the ones that aren't sick? Instead of saying, all right, Lord, you know what? You've been really good to me. You've given me the health that I have up until this point. I don't know why this is part of my life right now, but, Lord, um, you're in control. Your will be done. Life, death, your will be done, Lord. Um, you've got a great job. Everything's going well. All of a sudden, everything comes crashing down. Well, let me ask you something. You know, as you, as you step back and you look at it, who was in charge of all that? I mean, you know, if, if I see it through God, then God's got something else. Well, yeah, but it's not what I want. I get this, it's not what we wanted, but the issue is when I look at my circumstances through the filter of God at work in my life, then no matter what my circumstances, I can find joy. And when you find that joy, you find strength. And, and, and here, if you'll notice, it was sourced in a couple things. It's sourced in God. It's sourced in God's Word. He says that they came to an understanding of God's Word. That's, by the way, you know, that's why Christian growth is so important. Kids, teenagers, college, young marrieds, that's why it's so important for you to ground yourself in the Word of God, because here's why. Life is going to happen to you. And there's going to be good parts about that, and there's going to be bad parts about that. There's going to be exciting, thrilling things about that, and there's going to be deep, dark valleys that come with that. And through all of that, if you are sourced in the Word of God, and your life is sourced in God, and you're finding your trust and comfort in God himself, then you will find joy regardless of what circumstances come your way in life. And that's so important for us to understand. And that's what, that's what Ezra and Nehemiah were trying to get across to these people. Look, guys, I understand that, that, that the word of God has brought sorrow to your life. It's brought grief. It's brought hardship. And that you realize how far you've fallen. But you also need to understand that same word brings you hope and encouragement and a future that God is with you. He hasn't abandoned you. Look at how far you've come. You now have a city. You're not in Persia anymore. Now you've got, not only is a temple built, but now the walls are built. Now you can live back inside the city and God is here. And you can find incredible joy in the fact that God has been with you and God is with you and he has not abandoned you. And the people were able to go forward and they were able to say, you know what, good, let's build these, let's build these booths, let's sit here and let's worship and let's focus on God and let's spend the seven days like we should have been doing all along and we're going to go from this point forward, we're going to make some changes and every year we're going to celebrate this just like we were supposed to have been doing for the last umpteen years. And they changed. A second thing um, that, you know, a, a second idea, not only is, do you find the idea of... Um, 
the strength of the Lord in it, but here's what you find. You find the issue of obedience. I think it's amazing how obedient these people were, how quickly they obeyed. You know, we drag our feet. Okay, God, let me think about it. Now, Lord, you know, if you'll do this, 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 and this, and all. These people were in the middle of this thing. They're reading along going, oh, hey, we're supposed to be doing this. Time out. Stop. Ezra, hang on. You need to stop preaching. We got to go build, we got to go build stick houses. God says we're supposed to be doing this. Let's go do it. There's that instant obedience, and that's what God honors in our lives when we, when we obey. You go, yeah, but culture says, right, let me tell you something. Just push culture aside. What does God say? What are we supposed to be doing? Because here's what you'll find. You'll find that as you and I are obedient, as we live our lives in accordance with God, God honors that. I say it over and over again. Um, God honors obedience. And God honors it when we do the right thing. And most of the time, if you haven't figured it out yet, the right thing is not always the popular thing. But the right thing is always the right thing. The last thing, and this is the thing that, that I want to spend a little time on, and not a lot of time, but I, I want to spend enough time to maybe drive it home for you, is this. We've got to keep our focus right when it comes to this perspective of here and eternity. You see, the great thing about the children of Israel was they pulled out from the world and realized how much they had been given. They pulled out from the world and they realized that, you know what, everything that I have is temporary. Everything that we have is from God. Everything that we have been given is from the hand of God, and we're incredibly grateful. And so what happens is, as they pull out, and as they go out and live underneath a bunch of sticks, they start to appreciate the straw mat. And they start to appreciate the mud walls that need to be patched. And they appreciate the thatched roof that's held up through lots of storms versus the one that they just threw together at the last minute in order to be able to live out there for a week. And I think sometimes as Americans, we get pretty spoiled. I, you know, we actually had a discussion here about what type of carpet we put down to worship in. How crazy is that? How crazy is that? God's been so good to us. He's like, you know what? I mean, here's, your, here's a big problem for you. What color is the carpet going to be? You know? What do you, I, I mean, most, and you just think about it for a minute, you know? I mean, I, I went to a closet this morning, and I looked at a closet, and, and, and don't, um, I, I'm really bad at matching my clothes, okay? So what I do is my wife literally has to put my clothes in order, Okay? So I know that we went through this last night because we did this last night. I have a suit, sport coat that goes here, and then there's a shirt or a couple of shirts that match it, and then a pair of pants. Okay? So I actually have to go to it and decide what color am I going to wear today. That's the biggest decision I have to make about dressing in the morning. What color? And then what my big decision is do the socks match. Um, and I could have gone with brown today, but I went black. Um, but that's my big decision. And I have to go there, and I have to pick among probably... Ten sport coats and, and, and shirts and pants that, that, that all match up right. How people in the world would give anything to have that kind of problem? You know, most of us, here's the bottom line, there are a lot of cars that we could have driven today. For a lot of us, 
he went to a cabinet. Well, those of you who have ever been on the mission field, you know that um, particularly coming back from PNG, one of the things that overwhelms you is the choices that you have. And when our missionaries come back and they've lived over there for four years, I mean, you need to understand, they go to the store and there's one brand of cereal. That's it. It's not like, oh, do I choose that one or this one or that one? They don't see rows and rows. And literally, when they come back, it's, it's culture shock to them to have to stand there and go, there's so many choices. And even we felt it when we came back, you know, I mean, of someone, you know, I remember, I remember when I went over there, I'd been told that I couldn't get pop. And I was like, really? Okay, this is really the mission field then, you know? And we got there, and we were at a store before we got on the boat to go over. And I'll never forget, um, all of a sudden, I'm in the store, and I'm in the line, and I see a case of Coke, bottled Coke, little bottles of Coke. And I said, is that for sale? They said, yes. I said, I want it. They said, how many do you want? I said, I want the case. So I want the whole, they said, the whole case? I said, the whole case. The whole case is going with me. Um, and I took a whole case over of, uh, because it was like, and, and by the way, it wasn't a choice. My favorite's Dr. Pepper, but you know, I didn't care. It was Coke. It was the only choice I had, but I took it. I took it. Um, I think I could go now as long as, because now I can do it with coffee. But um, it, it, it's the concept of we have so much we've been given, and we forget that. We forget that. Some of you, life has been pretty hard and you've got some really tough stuff you're going through right now. And you're wondering, is there any relief at it? Is there any is there light at the end of the tunnel? Is there any, um, you know, whether it be caring for an elderly parent, whether it be your own health issues, whether it be job, career, your, some family issues with your kids or, or grandkids or whatever else, things that, are, that, that, that weigh really heavy on your heart. Let me help you with something that, that kind of helped me a little bit this week when I actually realized it. In the Bible, and I hope this isn't discouraging to you, I hope it's encouraging to you. The Bible says that a day with the Lord is, is a thousand years. Now, that's an exaggeration. It's, a, it's, it's just a, a term that God uses to help us understand big concepts. It's kind of like if I told you that I'm so hungry this afternoon I could eat an elephant. Well, you wouldn't go down and figure out, okay, how many bites are there in an elephant? That means that he's this hungry. Okay, you wouldn't do that. It's just an expression. But because I think we as Americans and as human beings like tangible things, let me run something tangible by you for a minute. Let's just take that phrase, one day with the Lord is is a thousand years, and let's make it literal for a few moments. You know what that means? That means that one hour of time, the amount of time that we're going to spend in here this morning, we start at 10 o'clock, it's 11.01 right now, it's been 42 and a half years in eternity. So, by the time we're out of here, about 70 years. 70 years. Your entire lifetime. Everything that you've gone through from the age to 70 some odd years, or let's make it two hours. Let's make it two hours in eternity. You've lived to the ripe old age of 85. That's two whole hours in eternity if we go with that analogy. Two whole hours. Let me put it in perspective for you. That's just an exaggeration. One day is a thousand years. It's talking about eternity, folks. It's far bigger than that. And I think sometimes we forget that. We forget the idea that what we have and what we go through down here is so minor compared to 
eternity out there. And that God allows us a short time here, a very short time, to impact other people for all of eternity. And whatever you and I go through down here, if God uses it to impact another life, that impacts them for all of eternity. That's why in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, when Paul's talking about this thing called ministry and life and everything else, he says, he says this, for our light affliction. And that seems cruel. You go, you don't understand. I'm, Pastor, I've been dealing with this for 10, 15, 20, 30 years. And for Paul to say that's a light affliction, yeah, it's a light affliction when you put it in context of eternity. And Paul says this, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. It has this huge impact all the way down forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. While we look not at the things which are seen, what you're going through right now, but the things which are not seen. Because the things which we see, they're temporary. But the things which we don't see, they're eternal. And Paul says we have to understand that in that brief little moment of time, whatever you and I have to go through in this world, God's got something far bigger at work. And we have to trust him to say, Lord, my life is not mine, it's yours. You use me to make a difference in eternity in the lives of people. And it's so important. These, one of the ways God wanted these people to remember this was with this festival of booths. Where they go out once a year and remember, remind themselves that, look, this whole thing's temporary. This isn't a permanent thing here. This world is not our home. We just pass through it. And I want to challenge you, because some of you are going through some really tough times right now, and you're like, it's so hard, it's so heavy, it's so overwhelming, it's so tough, it's so... You don't realize the people that are watching, the people that God is touching through it, the people that God is working in their hearts through it, because of what you are experiencing. Because God is at work doing something far more important and far, you go, yeah, yeah, let, God use, let God do somebody else. Let God use somebody else and take somebody else through. God chose you for a reason. I don't know why. But I can tell you this much. He chose you because he knew with his help you could handle it. And that says an awful lot about God's confidence in you. And I, I just want to challenge you, because I think sometimes in this world we hang on to stuff so hard that we forget there's something far bigger at play. And I want to encourage you, whatever you're going through right now, to realize, although it's heavy, and although it's hard, and although it's difficult, and although it's overwhelming, and although you don't think you can handle it, with God's help, number one, not only can you handle it, but God can use it to stamp lives for eternity. So allow him to. Keep your confidence in him. Keep your confidence in his strength, in his power, in what he's doing, and the fact that he's chosen to use you and let him use you in a great way. And when it's all said and done, I guarantee you, three hours from now in eternity, 
it'll make sense. And you'll be able to look back and go, wow. I didn't see that coming, Lord. I didn't even know that person was watching. That's a person at work that used to make fun of me all the time. Really? And you'll be amazed at what God does in and through you. So I challenge you, I end it with this. We're challenged to allow God and his word to be the source of our life and joy in spite of our circumstances. This world is temporary. And the struggles, difficulties, and hardships are also temporary. They produce a far more important role in eternity than we will ever realize when we focus on life from an earthly perspective. Let God use you this week. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Lord, it's so easy for us to focus on us. Lord, it's so easy for us to focus on what we are going through and how come we have it harder than this person or that person or this circumstance or that circumstance. Lord, for whatever reason, you have allowed things into our lives that, Lord, you promise you can turn out and work your good through them. So help us to trust you. Lord, for those that are discouraged, would you encourage them? For those young people who are sitting here wondering, is it worth it hanging in there? Is it worth it to keep plugging away and doing that which is right? Lord, would you help them to understand there is something far bigger at play here? And that, Lord, to honor you is something that you will honor as they do that. Lord, use us. May we be obedient. May we find joy in you in spite of our circumstances and happenings. And when it is all said and done, Lord, one day we gather together around your throne. May we be able to sit back and say that we have done our best to honor you with our time, energy, and efforts. And uh, may you be pleased with our lives. These things we ask in your name. Amen.